You're listening to the Real Estate Investing Podcast with Dante Belmonte, here to help you start or continue your journey in real estate. Each episode, we bring you a different expert real estate investor who will share the secrets to their success so you can learn and benefit from their experience. Let's jump right into it. And we are back. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Podcast, guys. Today's guest is Reed Goosens. Reed is originally from Australia, but now lives in the United States. He's a best-selling author of two of his books he uh, sent me and I got to read, Investing in the U.S. and 10,000 Miles to the American Dream. Great books. I suggest you pick those up. Reed is a founding partner of Longhorn Capital, which is a syndicating group raising capital for apartment buildings. We have Reed on the show today. We get to pick his brain a little bit about his recent success. I hope you guys enjoy the show. Alrighty, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm with Reed Goosens. Uh, Reed is originally from Australia. I believe he's in Los Angeles now, active investor, currently syndicator, and a phenomenal offer in my book. Of According to all my books, he has the book, Investing in the U.S., The Ultimate Guide to U.S. Real Estate. He sent it over to me. I read through it, and I was really blown away at how quick and to the point he was with beginning topics and going over to his syndication and what he does for his business. But enough about that. Reed, go ahead, introduce yourself. Thanks for coming on the show. G'day, Dante, mate. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's a, sort of like not a blast from the past, but you're coming from Syracuse, which is somewhere where I've got a, it was also near and dear to my heart when I first moved to the United States. I'm sure we'll get into it in a little bit, but, but thanks for having me, mate. Yes, of course. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're currently doing, what you're up to. Yeah, so well, my, myself is the whole, you know, you've read the book. If you read the book, it's the coming to America story. I'm clearly my deep Georgian, southern Georgian accent, right? I'm not from this country. <laughs> uh, I'm, from, I'm from Australia. And, and, you know, my whole shtick is that I, I moved here to, to sort of chase a dream, just to be an expat, to live in New York City. And, you know, find myself eight years later starting, you know, owning a syndication real estate company and, um, you know, creating financial freedom. And, and really, I had no dreams or hopes of that to be any of that kind of things when I first moved here, but it all morphed into that. And it really started from just taking a leap of faith and knowing that I just wanted to be an expat in New York City and live there for a period of time. And, and I was chasing a girl at the time and that girl turned into my wife. So um, <laughs> yeah, now, now I, I'm the co-founder of Wild Home Capital and, and we have about a quarter billion um, dollars worth of assets under management, all multifamily in uh, San Antonio and Austin, Texas. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's been an incredible ride and I've just been enjoying the last eight, eight or nine years. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into the journey in a little bit, but that's, that's really in a nutshell what I do. Awesome. Awesome. Great intro. Uh, congratulations on that quarter of a billion in, uh, in apartments and commercial. That's huge. That's a huge accomplishment. And we definitely, we're going to want to dive into that and learn a little sure. more how you got there. So let's start off with the book real quick. What made you want to write it? How long did it take you to write it? And basically your favorite part about the whole book that you really liked putting out there for everyone to read. Yeah, well, so the, this is the beauty of, of media today. Like the book actually comes from my podcast, which is also called Investing in the US, right? And so mm -hmm. this book came out about a year and a half ago. My podcast has been going for over four and a half years. So I took the best episodes from, from audio, transcribed it into uh, transcription into words and then created a story around it through, you know, help with, with my editor, um, but really handpicking the best episodes and doing a sort of a step-by-step -step guide in order to create another digital asset for the extension of my business card. 
it wasn't to be the next best-selling author. It was to help you create, uh, create a bigger ecosystem of businesses and branding that people can get to know me a little bit better because ultimately my business is, 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 is investors investing in me and my deals. Um, and, and the quickest way to get to know someone will is to, to, to tell them about yourself, right? And you can do that of through course, yeah. audio, you can do it through written, uh, you can do it through video, which is what we're doing a little bit here today. So all of it just helps to condense the, the learning period of getting to know someone over say five or six or 10 years into a couple of months, hopefully. And they get to understand the story of where I've come from and, and the struggles that I've been through. Uh, and, 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 you know, it, it is my story and that story is powerful and that can resonate with people and that will then attract business leads into to growing my business in the future. So, yeah. So, so the back to your original question, how it started, it really just was taking best, um, the best episodes, putting it into a book. And then your, your story, your question about what was the best element of it. I think it was the whole, the process of my first version of this book, and I'll be brutally honest, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a structural engineer. Like I've got a very much mathematical brain. It read like a textbook, you know, my, my editor had to sort of help me, <laughs> yeah. you know, weave in the story a little bit and had to get a bit of, bit of, a bit of help and advice from, from other people who are a bit more professional at writing than I to, to guide me down, down a better path. So it was more readable and relatable. Um, but I guess just going through that, you know, the journey of what, what, what you, what I have achieved uh, over a period of time and, and what I had learned, I think putting it into paper and on the pages reinforces it for me as a, as a, I don't want to say an educator, but as someone to trying to educate others. And that, that was a cool, you know, just like a stop and a pause and looking back at what, what had, what had happened over the, the course of at that point where, where I think I started writing that six years into being living here. So two and a half years ago. Um, so it was just a cool, stopping and reflecting and enjoying the journey a little bit. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, Reed, like I said, it's, it's a phenomenal read. It really is. And yes, there's some really elementary stuff in there that most investors already know about, but going over it, kind of getting at it from a different perspective, a different view of, so to speak, a foreigner, you know, that's someone that's not used to us guidelines, us lending, you know, and whatnot. And then going into again, the way you look at a syndication. So right. let's, let's start right from the beginning. So, when you moved over here to the US from Australia, you came all the way across the world and you started investing. What did that first investment look like? Let's talk a little well, bit about that yeah, and how you scaled I, up. I think the well the first you gotta talk about a little bit about the the coming to America, right? Like before coming to America, I'd picked up the book Rich Dad Poor Dad. And that was sort of was really the start of the whole changing my mindset about how, what I needed to be in my life, you know, and I've always thought that I needed to be my own boss, but I didn't know how to someone to write me a check and, and just pay me to live my life. Right. And so right. The, the rich dad, poor dad really sort of inscribed the word entrepreneur into me. And I didn't even knew what it was at the beginning. Um, so really from that book, and I picked up that book in 09, from there, I started learning about real estate or started, I chose real estate as the vehicle to financial freedom. The reason I did that was purely because my, my, my dad, he's a, he's a high school teacher, but he'd made a few smart little investments back in the day and had to pay it off for him. And, and I was a structural engineer working on physical assets. So I thought, oh, this is, a, you know, I might as well, I already sort of in the business of construction or constructing things and buildings. Why not real estate? And that's what I chose. Um, and so I didn't actually, when I picked up the book, Richard put out, I then started to immerse myself in, in learning about the, the business, right? And, and I, I started attending local meetup events in Australia. And then, but I had that urge to move to the United States and I ultimately did in 2012. And when I landed here in New York City, Dante, it was like taking, I went to the first New York RIA, the Real Estate Investment Associations. 
And I was completely blown away with just how much incredible good content was out there, readily available at very cheap mm-hmm. prices, you know, you know, door, 20 bucks at the door or something. But also it was like taking information out of a fire hose. Like I'm coming from Australia to the big apple, like fast talking Americans trying to get my head wrapped around the investment lingo, but right. really look, using that RIA or the RIA system as a stepping stone to helping me get educated about whatever market I wanted to invest in. I remember going on bus tours to Baltimore and to Philadelphia. And, and ultimately I, I chose the, the first market was just, uh, it was Syracuse because one of the guys that I'd met there, another expat, he was starting to invest up there, up, up in Syracuse where you're from. And for me, it was a four hour bus ride. I could get on the Greyhound bus on a Saturday morning. I could get up there. <laughs> yep. uh, uh, take four hours to get up there. I'd get up there. Uh, a broker would drive me around for two hours. He'd drop me back off at the bus depot and I'll get back on the, the Greyhound and get back to New York for a couple of beers with the boys, you know, at seven o'clock at night. So right was, on the same day. Yeah. On the same day. So that was, and I did that for a couple of months or a couple of weeks in, in, in that rolled into months to get to know the, the, the city. And plus I, I, I was fresh off the boat. I didn't have a, 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 mountain amount, a massive amount of cash. I'd saved up a bit of money. I saved up about 30, 40 grand. And because no one was lending to me straight out of the gate, well, I had to use that to buy a property, right? What could I buy? Well, I was really surprised that here in America, you could buy properties for less than $50,000. I was like, right. Oh, you know, you couldn't buy that in Australia. So is this real? <laughs> no, you can't, you can't buy them. We, we can, if you want to talk about it, we can get into that. But this whole idea of the fact that, you, you know, wow, 30,000 bucks for a triplex or 38,000 bucks for a triplex. Like I remember it's, it's 512 Fabius street. I'm sure it's still there. You could drive past it. Um, and <laughs> I hope it's still there. <laughs> yeah, I hope it's still there. But it was, it, again, for me, Dante, up until that point, I'd been educating, I picked up a book, Richard Porter in late, late 09. It was middle of 2012. There's a good, good two and a half years there of self-education. I really got to the point where, of, of analysis paralysis. And I remember riding on the subway to, to work and just getting to the point, I was like, look, I'm not going to get to deal number 10 without doing deal number one. Yeah. And I was willing to risk my own money and, and find a, 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 an investment you know, market and just get comfortable with it and just pull the bloody trigger because I was, I was sort of sick of nose stuck in a book. It's like the old saying, you don't lose weight by reading about it. You open the gym door and you walk inside and get on the treadmill. Right. right. So and real quick, just would, to stop you, know, you on that. I mean, yeah, you, you can read 30 of these, you can read 40 of these, you know, <laughs> and until you actually, like you said, pull the trigger and do it, that's where you're going to get the experience. You don't 100%. learn how to swim by watching people do it. You learn how to swim by jumping in the water and practicing, you know, that's exactly right. And, that's, and that's what needs to be done in real estate. Yeah, 100%. And it's about taking action, right? And being comfortable betting on yourself because a lot of people stop at that point. They read, they get educated and 95% of people sitting in a seminar will not do anything because they can't back themselves. They can't get to a point where they're comfortable enough to say, I know enough to be dangerous and I know enough to put my money where my mouth is and take a risk. Everything's going to be a risk at some point in life. You have to be comfortable about what the risk you take. And don't get me wrong, you've got to be educated on that risk, but there's going to be a leap of faith at some point, whether it be me quitting my job in Australia and moving halfway across the world or me getting on a Greyhound bus and going up to Syracuse and buying a property for 38,000 bucks. It's the same thing. I just got to a point where I had enough of the norm, which was you know analysis, paralysis and reading books. I needed to take that next step. So yeah. Yeah. So let, let's touch on that. So you, you, you decided you, you're a structural engineer, you decided you wanted to come to New York city. You wanted to look for smaller markets where there wasn't such a large barrier to entry, so to speak, or cheaper properties. Right. You found Syracuse due to another investor. Um, why that property though? Why that triplex for 38,000? What was so attractive about it? it? What was, made you want to do it? It was all, the largest thing I could afford 
for multifamily. It was all about okay. cash flow. Cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. It was all about cash flow. Putting money in my pocket, richer, but you know, the, 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 you know, having assets that make money in your sleep. And, and on paper, these, these, these little properties were bloody fantastic. And, mm-hmm. and in the beginning, it was like, oh my gosh, these are 12, 13 caps and I can, you know, be, and, and they were- <laughs> Unheard they were, of. They, they were doing those in, in, back in the day in, in 2012. I, I remember buying um, Fabius Street and it was, it was three apartments um, or three, it was, a, it was a full single family house and a duplex on, on the same lot. And I think the house uh, rented for 750 a month and the two single, um, the duplexes were, were 600 a month. So you're looking at, what is that? Over nearly $2,000, 2,100 bucks. Yep. And the cost on that, I think, was you know less than half. So I was making like nine hundred dollars a month in cash flow, and it was working. Um, right now, we'll get into other th- issues that happened <laughs> down the way. But it it it, it, ha- it it was like wow, this does work, and I can buy a quote unquote business which makes me cash flow. And that was the whole point of why. Back to your question, why did you put trees truck? Like it was just to maximize the most amount of cash I could get in my pocket or cash flow per month. Um, that I could get in my pocket. So yeah. Right. And then like you were saying, it worked. It was putting cash in my pocket. That's when it clicked and you yep. realized I can do this. I can scale this. Correct. You know, that's correct. Yeah. Well, so, at least, at least on a, on a small level, which is, you know, buying duplexes. Right. Yep. A, a sm- under four units where you can get a residential loan technically, but like correct. you said, you bought in cash. So you, you get this three unit, you, you see it works. It makes sense. I'm sure you're getting excited at this point. You want to do more. So mm-hmm. take us along that path. What, what was the next step? How are you yeah, able to so, scale? So, well, the scale part comes sort of secondarily. It was more to do with what's the deal number two going to look like? Well, because I'd b- built up a local uh, relationship with, uh, you're probably very familiar with them, but not, not around anymore. First Niagara Bank and yep. a, local, a local bank um, and a local bank manager. And I was depositing checks over a period of six months into this account and they could see that it was working and they could see on the deed that I, I bought it all cash. And they just gave me a line of credit for 25,000 bucks. And that line of credit I used with my other cash that I'd saved up in that time to buy deal number two, which was for $45,000, which was another duplex. Um, so all of a sudden within sort of a period of 12 months, I've got these two little cash flowing duplexes probably creating around $1,500 a month in, in, in clear cash flow. Um, now actually a little bit less because they now have the debt on there with the line of interest, uh, line of credit. Yeah. But it was probably around a thousand bucks a month, which was pretty good for what a essentially less than a hundred thousand um, dollars a month, you know, less than a hundred thousand dollars investment into you know total portfolio wise, which was just two little properties. But it was enough to get me to get the tongue, you know, that I, I had the taste. I had the taste of cash flow in my mouth, and I needed to go and scale it. Um, so that's where the, the the next part of the story comes in. All right. Well, well, take us away on that, please. Oh, okay. Keep, okay. Keep right. moving. <laughs> keep you're moving the guest today. They hear me too much. <laughs> um, so the real, the, the, we go back to mindset, you know, the whole mindset of getting started. And for me, at that point in time, I'd got these couple of little properties in upstate New York. I was then starting to look at, okay, well, I need to get some bigger bang, bigger runs on the board because I wanted to get more money to invest in cash flowing properties. Well, what about let's start flipping houses? So I started looking at properties in Philadelphia and I eventually identified one that I eventually did flip and was my first ever outside money. My dad came involved in the deal. Didn't work out that great, but we won't, we won't get into it. We can get into it, but we won't have to get into it to the overall story. But Yep. What I what I what ended up happening was a second the second aha moment in my life, and 
knowing that I was coming to the end of my tether or then my rope um, with my own lending, my, my day job, I was still working full time. I was hustling really hard, um, trying to get, you know, catch the Greyhound buses everywhere because I didn't have a car in New York City. Um, and it came through a, a conversation with a friend of mine who came down from New, uh, from Canada. And, you know, I'm boasting to him about the, you know, guess what I'm doing in Syracuse and looking at these properties in Philadelphia. And and he's like, man, that's, that's, that's bloody awesome. You know, well done. And and he's a guy, that, an old friend of mine that I studied with uh, at the University of Queensland. I studied civil engineering with him, actually. And he said to me, I'll oh, read, yeah, that's great. I actually just closed on a 70 unit deal. And I said, uh, sorry, seven zero, like seven. He's like, yeah, 70 units in one, one, one property. And I was like, how the hell did you do that? He then explained to me OPM, other people's money. And I said, well, hang on, how'd you get, well, I've got, I've got a list of questions now because what he was doing on his, on the scale side was he was implementing the same strategy as I was doing on the, the duplexes and triplexes, which was going in, spending five, six, seven thousand bucks a unit and, and, and increasing the rent a hundred or 150 bucks a month. And, and through that, he was able to do it over 70 units. And because the bank looks at it as it like a business, the net operating income, it increases the, the value of the asset, it increases the, the cash flow. Increases. So um, to me, I already knew this, but it was just the, the pieces that I didn't know was the OPM piece. And, and, and I said, well, how the hell did you do that? And he's like, well, I actually got a mentor and a mentor helped me find the deal. And we negotiated a seller carryback finance. Again, a, a very similar wow. terms that we were all, we'd all heard about. Um, but, but ultimately, it was the attracting of the investor. And it happened just through friends and family. It was a half a million dollars he needed to raise. Um, he went and they everyone pulled their money together and they all went and signed on the loan. I think it was a couple, it was a million or a million and a half dollar loan. And they took down this $2 million property uh, wow. in, Seric- sorry, in, in, in um, upstate British Columbia. And again, it was just like, wow, if he can do it, why can't I do it? But the, the piece there was the mentor. And up until that point, Dante, I'd been sort of putting off mentorship because I'd been, you know, I'd chosen to instead of spend my $38,000 on a, you know, rich dad, poor dad seminar, uh, I chose it to go and buy my first deal in Syracuse. So I thought, yeah. which was the better choice because I was using my own money um, and it goes back to the analysis paralysis. I, I couldn't handle any more learning. I just got I, like, just do it, Reed. Like, you know, put up or shut up, you know, like that was sort of put your money where your mouth is. Yep, yep. And, and from there, that's where I went and, you know, try to look for a mentor. And, and I found a mentor who ultimately was, was rel- relatively cheap at the time. He'd only done one deal, one large multifamily deal, but he had done it. And that was all I needed. Right. And for me, it's kind of was a subconscious decision to invest in myself and that's when i decided to sell the first property um get my money back out and then use that to help build the business of, of which ultimately turned into wild home capital use it to build uh, investing in the us the podcast and started branding myself but really working on cultivating uh, a network of investors to to then hopefully ultimately invest with me um for the long term right and and, and listen to my story about what i had to say and do excuse me and that that was really the start of, of trying to take my, my my journey to the next level, using my mentor as the sort of credibility builder, riding on his coattails, you know, JVing with him on his deals, building my confidence up on doing bigger and bigger deals, and ultimately scaling it into what it is today. So yeah, that's that's phenomenal. I mean, just so much jam pack of information that you put in there, even though it's it's your journey, that's what it is. But there is so much to learn from in that from a distance, you know, from a third party. So let's talk about that first large deal that you did larger than what sure. you started out was that first yeah, syndication. Yeah. How, how did, I mean, read lay it out for us. How did you, yeah, so, how did you so, find it? How'd you start it? Yeah. Money? I mean, all of it. There's so many all questions. It. So, well, okay. <laughs> it, like it's, it's, it, it's a lot more, again, I'm a lot more involved than that. I, in two, so in 2014, I, I ended up uprooting and moving to, to uh, LA where my wife is from. 
And in that journey, I was still again working full time, but I wanted to create, you know, in around the branding side of it, I needed to create um, more of a thought leadership platform. And I created a meetup group. And through that meetup group, I actually met a gentleman who was working as an asset manager for another company. Uh, were buying deals in Texas. He was underwriting deals and being an asset manager. He was, he's a few years older than I am. And he was like, man, I'm looking at these deals and I feel like there's, I definitely want to go out and start my own business. He was sort of a hustler as much as I was a hustler. And all of a sudden, you know, he stumbles across this deal in, in Houston, Texas for a seven cap. It was 250 units. Uh, I think it needed like one or $2 million of equity. It was a, it was a large deal. Um, but it was like a seven cap for a 2000 build. It was like, wow, that's, that's, that's phenomenal. Um, yeah. at, at the time, you know, he, he sort of asked me, he's like, do you, you know, I, I can get this tied up, but I don't have any, I don't know how to raise the equity. And like, can you help me with it? And I was like, well, look, I'm only starting my little business. I don't know who's listening to me on my podcast and I'll try. Um, but I've got my, I've got this mentor, you know, he apparently can raise money. You know, he tells me he can, that's what he bitched to me that he can raise money. Right. So Let's I was like, see hey, if he put his money over his mouth. You know? Yeah. Like <laughs> I, 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 I sort of said, well, you guys need to chat, you know, like him. And in the beginning, I, I think my mentor was very, you know, again, he had done, hadn't done a ton of deals. Uh, and he, he, I think he even was uh, skeptical in the beginning. And I had to sort of go and push him because this other gentleman uh, who I met who had the deal sort of tied up was like, man, I don't know if I can tie this deal up because I, I want to and I should, but I don't have the confidence in raising the money. And I was like, well, come on, mentor. Like, come on. Like, you, I know you can do it. We can all do it together. And, and we ultimately did. Um, now, other people came involved and we just it sort of everyone came to the table. And I had a I was sort of the, the glue to, to, to build to bring people together. But ultimately, it was other folks that helped raise the money. I raised a portion of it. But it was, again, being at that center, trying introducing the right people through just putting myself out there, starting a meetup group and having and meeting someone at a meetup group. Like it sounds nearly poetic, but it's not. It just, again, the ability of putting yourself out there and seeing what the universe can, can bring to you. And from that deal, um, they've all, th- th- so those two guys, my, my mentor or my ex-mentor and, and this gentleman, they've gone off to create a huge multifamily company, which is based in New York City now. Um, I think they've got over 9,000 units. But through that, I was able to you know, do more deals with them, like co- co-GP, and they were able to then come on what's called to be a KP on my first big deal, uh, where I broke out and, and, and over a period of um, two years, I was able to do my own deal. So in 2017, I finally did my own deal by myself. And they supported me in getting you know, the bank balance and, and making sure I qualified for the loan. And because I was, I, I helped them in the beginning. So sort of what, what goes around comes around. And um, I really appreciated that. And that got me off to the races. And, and that's now, you know, we've got 2000 units between my, my business partner and I. And it's, it's, you know, it's something that it, it just, it's, it's about just bringing the right people together. There's a lot of hats to be worn when you do close on these big deals. There's a lot of obviously details in, the, in, those, in what I've just said. But it, again, it, it's putting yourself out there, understanding you can't do it all. And really in the large multi-family syndication or any large, any, any large syndication, you need a group of people who can go off and execute the deal. And, and that's, that's really all it is. Yeah. So when you found this person who it, it sounds like he had this deal basically secured and needed funding for it, needed partners, what, what, and you basically stepped up to the plate. Like you said, you acted as the glue, brought, brought everyone together, stuck everyone together in this. What emotion was going through, you know, your head at this point? Like, what were you feeling as, as you, oh, you've done I, I was, tri, I, I, triplexes, duplexes, and then all of a sudden this, this 200 unit or 250 unit comes up? Yeah. Well, you know, again, through the mentor, it was, <laughs> using talking to him about the fears and then obviously bringing him involved. Um, it was kind of just doing whatever you could do. It was really day by day. Like it wasn't, 
trying to foresee what's happening in three months time. It was just like being really scrappy, like super scrappy and doing right. anything, like, you know, brokers trying to have to, you know, discount their fees to, to get the deal done. And it was just, ultimately it was a very, like, I remember taking phone calls from the bathroom of my employer. So he wouldn't hear me. Like it was just a lot of different stuff that like you looking back on it, you're like, what the hell? It was you know, shady, you know, but not shady, but it wasn't shady. It was just like, I didn't want anyone to know in my office what I was doing. Right. Um, but so I had to like sneak off. I felt shady from that reason, but it was just like, we were just scrappy. We, we, we got it done. Ultimately, again, there was a lot of people involved in that first one because there just has to be because you just ultimately can't, you got to carve up the pie, but here's, here's, here's the rub, right? You take a little, it's not about the money you make on your first major syndication. It's about getting your foot in the door because what that does, it gives you the confidence to go on and do it more again and again, right? It's, just, it's a snowball effect. And I would rather own a little bit of a lot than a lot of nothing. And that, that's the old saying, I don't know who the, whoever said that. But again, it was, it's to the point of you, you need to understand that first deal. You may not make, you personally may not make a lot of money but it's enough to get you going and give you the permission that you can do it and go off to the next deal. So, yeah. Right. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like you said, getting your foot in the door, it's almost like starting off when you start off with that triplex, you were getting your foot in the door for correct. small multifamily, getting that correct. wind in your sails. Now you're doing that with a, on a larger scale, but also you're showing other brokers, Hey, this guy just took down this 250 unit. Right. They know you're going to be able to close another similar property. Versus yes. someone that's, you know, trying to do the first one. So you're adding to your resume at that point. As silly correct. as it sounds, you, you are. So yes, that's completely correct. Yep. And I think that's very important. I think a lot of people get discouraged, you know, trying to go for their first one. And that's true. But what you said, you're just doing a piece of the pie. Because mm -hmm. there's so many other people involved to make this thing happen. Then maybe you could start to take some pieces of the pie away and correct. still be able to complete it. And you just have a bigger piece. Even I today, mean, even today with our business, we don't do the whole pie of the GP. We've got other correct, to, yeah, to help. Like in ten years' time or five years' time, I'm going to be that whole pie. <laughs> but it's take, right, it will, yeah. It'll take ten or fifteen years to get there. Like that's how long it's going to. It's you'll always going to need partners to come in to help with equity or bank balances or you know maybe this deal finder or you mm -hmm. know there's some there's some piece of it. And ultimately, you will own more and more of the pie. And when I say pie, the, the general partnership pie. Um, right. But in the beginning, it's just, it's just, you do whatever it takes to get it done. It's scrappy as hell. And, and it's not, it ain't pretty, but you got, you get it done, you get it over the line. And that proof is enough that you prove to yourself, prove to others uh, that you are building something for the long term. Right. No, that's good. And I, I like what you're saying today because you're being real about it. You know, you're, you're telling us the good, bad, the ugly and how it needs to happen. Now let's get into like the syndication side a little bit more mm -hmm. of things. So mm -hmm. like you said, GP general partner, that's part of the pie versus limited partner. So let's just let's just dumb it down real quick for some people sure. that don't know. So general partner, people who are actually involved in the deal, they're actively it basically investing with, with this. Limited partners. I've got, I've, got a, I've got a beautiful analogy if you want me to, to rub it Go on. Go for you, it, please. That, um, so think of it like a plane, an aero, a Boeing 747. We're all locked down in COVID. We can't actually get on one. But if I read Goosen's was to go and try and hire a plane to get from New York, from LA to New York, to Syracuse, it would cost me individually a lot of money, right? But if I go and split that cost up with two, 150, 200 passengers, well, then the cost is going to be a lot cheaper. Now, in a plane, you're going to have Excuse a captain. You're going to have a captain and a co-pilot. That's going to be your probably your deal sponsors, right? The two, the the, the partnership that maybe has found the deal. But then you've got first class and that's the GP. And first class is going to have a few people up there. It's going to have 
people who can bring equity to the table. Uh, it's got people who maybe have found the deal. It's got people who maybe can, can asset manage the deal. Um, maybe it's got, you know, the bank balance is a really important one. Like you, you going down and taking down a $20 million or $10 million deal, you have to have a net worth of a certain amount of money. So you need a seat for the net worth guy, right? Yep. And they're all people in first class. They're enjoying first class and they've got a little bit nicer privileges. But then you've got everyone in the back in, in economy who are enjoying the in-flight movies uh, and being involved in the journey, but they don't have to pay for the entire plane. They pay for that one seat. And that's the power of real estate syndication is that we can all get on the plane together and we get from point A to point B, which in this analogy happens to be you want to grow money. You want to grow your equity over time. You want to grow your cash flow and, and create long-term wealth. And that, that is probably the simplest way um, to, to, to think about it. And knowing that in the GP, first class could have two seats or first class could have 20 seats. You know what I mean? Like, and yep, then the LP, different. the LP might be, you might have a hundred seats in LP. You might have 200 seats. You might also just have three seats in LP. It just depends on who's writing the checks. So yep. over time, you know, your, your plane will look different. It might be a Cessna. It might be a Boeing 747, you know, just whatever you're going to use to get you from point A to point B. But I just, I give you that little bit of analogy because people can really think about that in their head and who sits in first class, who sits in economy, who's the captain and co-pilot. And, and who's, you know, how do we get this plane off the ground? <laughs> exactly. So two, two points real quick. One, um, on that first syndication you did, how many limited partners did you have on that deal? How many people did you raise money from roughly? It doesn't I think, have to be oh, exact. Rough, I think it was like, you know, 80 or, 80 or 90 people. Like it was, wow. a, you know, so, so it was a, a decent lot. chunk. It was a decent chunk. Like, and, but this is again, people investing twenty five, fifty thousand dollars Like that's that, you know, again, you're bootstrapping it and, and, and we're all responsible for bringing some portion of equity to the table. Like that's part of the business, right? You do, you're going to have a, a role and responsibility or whatever that is, but by and large, you're also going to be responsible for bringing some portion of equity to the table. And that's just, again, what, what being in first class means is part of getting any deal done. You know, if you don't have the money, the deal ain't closing, right? So correct. <laughs> And yeah. something you mentioned was bank balance. So you needed some more people to take that bank balance down, said yes. certain net worth. So are you saying that is uh, other people that are signing on the loan that Correct. have the net worth to prove that they can back the loan of this apartment building or this large commercial as asset? That is correct. Yeah. So typically we go for non-recourse debt. So we have someone, uh, you know, my business partner and I are worth, you know, in the beginning, no, no one's worth anything. And you've got to like, you know, cobble together your pennies and your, your bloody buttons <laughs> to show the right. bank that you're worth something. <laughs> but, but you, you know, over time you become worth something on paper. Uh, and so, but, you know, f typically in the commercial world, they want to see um, a, a net worth on paper equal to that of the bank balance. Right, so if it's a ten million dollar loan, so not bank balance, um, debt balance. So if it's ten million dollar loan, the general partnership needs to be worth a minimum of ten million dollars. Now, if you have five people in that, you know, two million dollars each, or if you have yep. one person who's worth ten, or if you had twenty people worth, you know, whatever it is, you got to cobble people together to say yes, we're all worth this, and we're all going to sign on the bad boy carve outs, which means, you know, for non recourse, if you do anything fraudulent, knowingly fraudulent, you will be it will become a recourse loan. Um, now, mm. when you bring those folks in board who just bring the bank balance to the table, um, they will going to want something in return. They're going to want a piece of the pie and they might want some upfront fees or you know, whatever you negotiate. Again, you do whatever it takes to get the deal closed and you need to have those people in mind when you are looking for deal, bigger deals because if you don't have those folks to go to, that's a very, very major piece of the pie that you won't be able to qualify for the deal if you don't qualify for the bank balance. So it's making sure when you're thinking about taking down a larger deal, 
well, okay, what's this deal worth? Like, okay, it's a million bucks. I'm probably going to have to get a, an 800000 or a $700,000 loan. Am I worth $700,000 today? Maybe I'm not. Okay, well, who, who is worth $700,000 today? Who, right. who can I get them on the boat who, with who me? Can, who can get involved with me um, that, that, can, that can cobble together and we can, we can go and take down a bigger deal? So thinking about all the different folks in the first class that are going to need to be there to, to make sure the deal gets done. Right. Okay. And also in your book, you touch on this. So I'll have you touch on it a little bit as well. When you're closing on that property and you, like you said, you're given a, a fee or some upfront cost to one of the GPs, what, what is that call that they're getting at closing for doing the work, finding the deal, finding the deal? Yeah, well, so uh, for overall, you, you typically every syndication you, you will go and find, there'll be what's called an acquisition fee. And, and typically yes. an acquisition yep. fee is between one and 2% of the purchase price. And that one or 2% um, is used to distribute throughout first class and, and the operators based on roles and responsibilities within the GP. Um, and that, that's all prorated share based on what you do, bank balances, equity, finding the deal, underwriting, you know, all the different roles and responsibilities. And, and you'll, you know, each deal is different and each GP is different and you'll figure out a way. It might be evenly split. You know, if there's three of you, a third, a third, a third, or if there's five of you, you know, a fifth, a fifth, a fifth, um, whatever that is, you'll figure it out within the GP. But that money is called the acquisition fee and that's what investors essentially pay to well, that's what the, the GP takes a part of, you know, they, they over raise. So it's a $10 million deal. You might need, you know, $2 million or $3 million worth of equity. You might might raise three and a half million dollars and use that $500,000 as the acquisition fee to pay the GP for, for finding the deal and keeping the lights on and making sure you have an operable business. Um, because that, that's, it's super important to have that piece uh, addressed in the beginning. Because that, that's again, how operators like myself make money and we can afford to keep the lights on. Right. Okay. And are you acting as an asset manager for these properties or someone else? Are you overseeing property management and taking a, a small yep. fee for that? Tell us a little yep. bit about that. Yep. So, so um, there's asset management, uh, there's, there's asset management and there's property management. And, and, and so what, what does that mean? Well, property management is, is, is the people, the day to day who, who look after the, the leasing of the units and interface with the tenants. Asset management, it's a level higher. And that's sort of where I come in and I make sure that the, the, the business or the deal is hitting the business model that I, I projected to. Um, and if it's not, why? And how do we you know, uh, change the, the different levers inside the business to make sure that we are hitting the, the right stuff? Right, those preferred returns and what? Well, preferred returns, but also just in terms of projections and all that sort of good stuff. And so when you, um, so there's property management, the property management, we third party property management. So we have, we have a third party property management company that comes in and they take typically a, a 3% fee. Um, on, on revenue. Real, real quick, I'm going to stop you on that. Yep. So typically we see property management maybe like the eight to 10 range. So explain to people why you're able to get such a discount in property management, that economy to scale. Purely, purely through economy to scale. Like yeah, eight to 10% or maybe a triplex or a fourplex when you, right. when you have a 300 unit property, yeah, you, get, you have to jam those fees right down. Like there's obviously a lot yep. more revenue. <laughs> so again, talk, going back to that little bit of a lot than, than a lot of nothing, you know, like 3% of a, of $300,000 a month revenue uh, yep. compared to 10% of 1200 bucks a month revenue. Like it's just, it's just different economies of scale. Um, right. so, so there's, there's those fees. And then there's what's called the asset management fees, which is again, typically 2% of revenues. And that is to make sure that the deal is going where it says, it says it's going. Um, and really once you start getting a portfolio wide, um, you know, when you get more deals in the portfolio, there becomes, you know, there's a lot more responsibilities for, for, for the asset managers to do, right? You've got a lot more 
wheels are spinning, a lot more plates in the air spinning. So making sure we're, you know, we're always constantly understanding what's happening on a day-to-day, a week-to-week basis. I just had a call this morning with my, uh, my Austin team, um, making sure I look at, you know, the P&L every, every week, um, looking at the leasing velocity and how we're going, what are we on the collections, what are the rental pops on, on the different newly renovated property uh, um, units, all these different things that go into making sure that the asset is going per business plan or as close to business plan as possible. Um, and, and then, you know, navigating in times like COVID, how do we go and navigate in times of COVID? So just a lot goes into just, you know, running the asset management, making sure property management are doing what they say they're doing. And the way you can definitely think about it is asset management's like, we're the business side of it. We, we have the investor's interest at heart. The property yep. manager just is really running the property, property the day to day, making sure, you know, uh, there's a leak in the roof. Okay. We'll get it fixed. You know, and, and what, what does that mean? They, they don't, they don't have the big picture long-term five-year horizon understanding when you're going to refinance or potentially when you're going to sell or what happening if a market correction happens. Right. That's asset management. That's a business side of the, of, of the equation. And like you said, above the property management where you're above taking care of everyone. Correct. That's correct. so that 2% that you're getting for the asset management fee, is that paid out uh, quarterly? Yeah, monthly? Paid out, uh, sorry, paid out monthly. So paid out, paid out monthly. And then investor distributions typically get paid out every quarter. Quarterly, um, some, yeah. some, some, some operators do monthly. Some operators do it every six months. It depends on what you negotiate up front. I've got some people don't do it for the first two years because they're getting a really distressed asset. And it's going to take a little bit of time to get to cash flow. So right, to get stabilized and we'll right. So it just depends on when you're looking at um, a syndication or getting involved, you can slice it any different way you want. And you just have to know that what an investor is going to want to buy into. There is, there's a little bit of what's called quote unquote, industry standards, but if you've got a pool of investors who are just really happy with a 10%, you know, IRR over seven or eight years, well then don't, don't get too complicated. You know what I mean? Like if, yeah, if, if yeah. and they're, and they're more patient capital, well, Hey, that's fine. Maybe they, they're, they're okay waiting two years for cash flow, or they, you know, they can handle with lower cash flow on the front end. Maybe it's, you know, one, two, three percent the first couple of years, and then it starts getting into its stride in years three or four. Um, so it just really depends on how you structure it with, with individual deals. Right. Now, are you, are you showing these investors that you have skin in the game as well? Are you putting in the same amount of capital per deal that they're putting in as well? Yeah, well, obviously we, we, we can't, um, you know, but if we're raising $3 million, I'm not just sitting on 3 million bucks. Um, right. And I also need to be liquid. Part of the, 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 the bank's requirements, remember I said before, was the bank needs to see that you have a net worth of the loan amount, but you also need to have a liquidity of, a, of, of 15% of the loan in personally. So whoever's on the loan, if it's four of you or five of you or two of you, you need to have, if it's 10 million bucks, um, you need to be what you need to have a $1.5 million in liquidity between the GP. Well, where are you going to find who's got that? <laughs> so right. Yeah. Someone's sure got to have that in reserves. Yeah. Someone's got to have the reserves. That's us. And we build up to that over time. So not every deal do we, do we actually put it in, we, we invest on because we just, we need to keep liquidity to go get the best interest rates because if you don't have that liquidity requirement, interest rates tend to go up. So, and there's just different things that you need as, as the running the business versus um, what's the best for the business versus what's actually going on on a deal by deal basis. If that makes sense. Right. No, no, that's good. And what, what the listeners need to understand as well is they, someone random can't just come in and write you a check and invest with you. They right. have to be, you know, are you guys doing 506B or 506C? Anyone uh, want to explain five, that real quick? Five, yeah. 506B for Bravo um, is we've, we've historically done 506B. Uh, five, five or 6B is a regulation D 1933 um, jobs act. Oh, I don't remember what it was, but the, the <laughs> all the good stuff, <laughs> all the good stuff. Um, essentially what it means is you have to have a pre-existing relationship with your investor in order for them to invest. Uh, so you need to make sure that they, 
you know who they are, right? And, and where they come from and, and um, what, what their investment thesis is or what, they, what their risk tolerance is. Um, so that's on the five or six B. On five or six C, oh, sorry, a big thing of five or six B, you can't, ad, you can't publicly ad, solicit an offering. So you can't say ABC Smith Street is going to give LP a return of 12% IRR. That's, that's a no-no. You right. have to have you can you know you can have private emails that you can send to people one on one to say hey I've got this deal if you're interested these are the overall sort of high level returns if you want more information I can send you maybe an investment slide some slides if you're more interested we could you know we can jump on a call and sort of build that um, the comfort level of the business plan and then obviously there's ultimately the the, the legal documentation right. uh, on the five or six C for Charlie uh, the, the delta is that you can only have um, accredited investors. Now in 506B, you're allowed to have up to 35 non-accredited investors and an unlimited amount of accredited investors. In 506C, you have to have only accredited investors, but you can publicly advertise. So okay. you can you can go solicit. Um, there's still a lot more. What I hear is that there's still more 506B offerings written today than there are 506C. Because I, I believe 506C is is a newer uh, type of, of, of publicly advertising. So right, that the SEC put out, yep. Right, 2012 when the Jobs Act came out um, in terms of public solicitation. Uh, so it, it really is a newer type of way of doing business. And that's where you saw back in 2012 to 15, a lot of um, crowdfunding uh, sites pop up, right? Yep, so yep. The public, public advertising um, investment opportunities in, in, in the limited, limited partnership side for a security. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the difference between 506B and 506C. And, and you guys are taking advantage of the 506B, Bravo, yes? Yeah, yeah. 506B, we, we may start delving into as we get bigger and bigger uh, into 506C just to give it a try. Um, we yeah. are only taking accredited investors um, that just helps protect Even us. though you're at the 506B level, you're, you're only taking accredited? Okay. Correct, that's so you, correct. you're keeping, basically, you're keeping things more in-house, so to speak. It sounds like you guys are familiar with your investors. They're, in, they're familiar with what you guys do and what your game plan is when you go into these properties. And I don't want to say you're taking these distressed assets, but not as high performing assets and you guys are turning them around, correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah, we're, we're, but it's distressed in what, what's your definition of distress? Like we always look for value at. And so I'm talking $38,000 for a triplex yeah. distress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we're buying, um, we are buying nicer assets these days. We, we, we do have, have learned, we've cut our teeth on more distressed assets. You can make a lot of money that way but it's also bigger risk with bigger risk yep. comes uh, bigger potentials for, for bigger boo-boos, you know, bigger stuff ups. So you have to understand when you start buying nicer assets and when I say nicer assets, I mean, newer built, you know, so newer. Oh, yes. The construction quality is better. You know, uh, after 19, I think the mid nineties when different um, construction codes came out, like you now start to see anything built after I think 95 or 97, you'll see fire alarm sprinklers. Um, yep. Before that, you won't see any. So you'll see just you know fire alarms. Um, so there isn't a sprinkler system. So your insurance is a lot more on a, on a wood frame building with with no fire sprinklers than compared to something that was built after the mid nineties. Um, so just different things like that. Also investing in in in, in areas which are a more sort of supply demand. There's an issue, which meaning higher demand, less supply. Um, to true growth markets like Austin, Texas, where there's jobs, jobs, jobs. And um, yeah, really just investing for the long term and making sure that we are, we do have a, a, a moderate uh, investment thesis. Uh, it's nothing crazy. It's not, it's very conservative and it's achievable at the end of the day. So our investors feel safe um, with their money investing in our deals. No, yeah, that's, that's awesome. It's a great business plan and it really shows what you guys are made of, but let's 
let's dumb it down a little bit and talk about the actual investors and how you guys are working with them. So sure. let, let's say you have John Smith coming in, you guys send him an email on a property you guys have under contract. You're, you're starting to, you know, do an offering, raise money for this property. What are you telling John Smith that put a number in that he's putting into this property for you? What are the preferred returns you're telling him he's going to get? How is it paid sure. out? And yep. when is he physically out of the deal that you guys no longer have to deal with John Smith? Yeah, so yeah. Is so, so typically we'll have a minimum <clears throat> investment amount. So on our deals, it's $50,000. Uh, and we have a, a different tiered structure on, on preferred returns. There's sort of two classes of, of equity. You can sit in the class A position, which is just after debt, and they get a 10% preferred return, but they get none of the backside. Um, and then there's the remaining 75% of the equity, um, which is it sits at an accruing 7% pref, uh, and they get 70% of the backside. Uh, now, you know, the reason we do that is so people can have choice. So like, okay, I, I prefer cash flow immediately. So I'm going to put some money in the, in the class A, or I prefer the long-term equity multiple and I'm going to put money in class B. Um, yep. So typically we, we, we will pay it out every, every quarter. Um, so if we just take, you know, an average deal, let's uh, call it the, the 7% pref accruing pref, where you might, you know, start with 1% year one, 3% year two, four, five, six, you will get that paid out every quarter, whatever we projected that is, you know, a port, you know, if it's 2% in year one, well, it's 2% divided by four, you know, per quarter. And you get a check for that on ACH. Uh, and then we, you know, we'll hold the deal and you'll get monthly updates and you'll get quarterly financial distributions and quarterly financial updates. And then we will look to sell or refinance the asset at a, at a period of time down the track, which will make that, that decision. And you will then get paid all your money back. Any delta of the pref that doesn't get paid out throughout the hold will be caught up upon sale. And then based on what the waterfall is, you know, i.e., investors get 70% of the deal and we get 30% of the deal as GPs. Well, there you go. You get 70% of the deal. And if you are, if you've invested, you know, you own 0.2% of the deal, well, you get 0.2% of those profits. Um, so it really, and that's where you get your equity back and you get profits on top of that. And hopefully you get a great equity multiple um, and you go off down the road and we can do it again, or you can take the money and do something else with it. So uh, that's, that's really uh, how, how we, we, we operate and, and communicate with, uh, with our average investor. Now, I'm sure someone that's doing a syndication, their head just spun with all those numbers you went over, which is fine because we're not really looking to dissect those today. But when you guys are refinancing a property, is that when investors are getting their capital back and stepping yes. out of the deal? Or is um, that just at sale? Or is it different so, uh, upon each property? Different upon each property. And we don't underwrite to a refi. Now, we don't, it's definitely a business plan, but I don't want to have the deal be so solely focused on, because we're not, we're not buying hugely distressed assets, which are like 50% vacant. Uh, we're right. sort of buying between the 80 to 90%. We just need to go in there, grease the wheels a little bit, really bring in a professional level of property management, um, create really awesome amenities and increase the, the revenue, you know, 150 to $200 uh, rental pops per right. month. So we're, we're buying more stabilized assets. Um, so the, the chance of getting a big refi and wiping out all or taking out all the LPs is really limited. And we don't want to ever underwrite to that because you may get find yourself like we're in today, COVID, um, that if you get to a point where the market doesn't support a refi, well, you can't then go do that, right? And so right, we never we never moving. project we never project a refi. We just say that is part of the business plan and will only juice your returns, but I'm not going to show them what you because then you'll expect them, right? And if we miss them, then right, we're back. Yeah, yeah. So that we don't do that, but but in the in the event you did get whatever reason you got your uh, your money um, uh, and you you got a portion of it paid back, well you still own 
um, you still own the percentage in the deal, but you'll then have less money in the deal. So your cash on cash return then obviously goes up. Um, if you got completely wiped out or completely taken out of the deal, you still own the percentage in the deal, but just we're not, we're not, we don't, we don't owe you anything. We don't owe you a return on, on nothing. But you to, right. I mean, a return on, on nothing is infinity. Um, so we don't we don't have to do a pref at that point, and we just hold on till we sell. Um, investors have got their cap original principal back, and they're they're off to, off to the races. So they're they're happy. So so yeah, awesome. Well, that's wonderful. I mean, we can go on and we can do thirty episodes about the different stages of syndication and how to set it up. Right. But today, I really just I wanted to know about you and touch a little bit on syndication. So sure. we're going to, um, anything else you want to touch on? Or are we good to switch gears into a, another section good, of the show? That's good, good. Good to switch gears, mate. Okay. Awesome. So this section is called the curious cues. I'm going to throw some questions at you. Um, you cannot say any of these of your own books, podcasts or anything like that. You got to be creative with it. So, uh, first question, what is your favorite podcast? Hmm. With all that free time on your hands. Oh yeah, so much, <laughs> so much free time when I'm running a, a massive portfolio. Um, I really enjoy enjoy how we built this by NPR, uh, Guy okay. Roz. I think that's a really that's cool show. Uh, I also listen to a couple of rugby. I'm a huge rugby nut. Um, so because I, I produce a podcast myself and I'm just on other people's podcasts, sometimes I just like to tune out and listen to other things. I also like listening to the, the, the Economist podcast. It has some good, good episodes, but really that's my source of news as well. I don't watch you know, the, 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 the news cycle. So um, yeah, those couple of podcasts is really what I tune okay. into. Wonderful. And uh, what about a favorite book for you that you really enjoy reading and that you read? Uh, you obviously read Fritch Dead Poor Dad, which is for everyone yep. who's probably read this book. But there's another book called uh, Key Person of Influence um, by Dan Priestley. It's got nothing to do with uh, real estate investing. It's got everything to do with building a, a digital assets and branding online. And so how do you be a key person of influence in your sphere? Uh, that's a, it was another hugely influential book. Um, so definitely recommend that one. If, if anyone's okay. Interested. What about a uh, real estate book? Uh, another real estate book. Um, oh, geez, I haven't read a real estate book in many, many years. I think the the, the really the one I, I, I there's one called um, I'll have to remember. It's like how to cash flow in duplexes, triplexes, and quads. It's a very yep. very similar to mine, but it sort of breaks it down just into uh, more basic mathematical understanding. That was a great little book just to get you know head wrapped around the numbers a little bit on the smaller side. Um, I can't remember who wrote that, but it was back in the day when I was, again, no yeah. stuck in the book on the, on the train. Um, <laughs> I, 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 it was a green cover. I can't, I just, I can, it's probably on my bookshelf right now, but uh, it, you get your nose basic. Like, difference between cap rate and cash on cash. I don't get it. It's like the same, you know, <laughs> very good. Uh, biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome. Biggest hurdle in real estate that I had to overcome. Um, look, there, there's, there's been plenty. Um, one, uh, look, probably, probably the, I'm too easy to trust people straight out of the bat, straight yeah, out of the okay. gate. Like I, I need to learn to be more skeptical. I don't know if skeptical is the right word, but just, you know, just don't have it. Everyone doesn't have their bet, your best interest at heart. And, and so, right. um, just making sure that you understand that and, and how do you protect yourself if, if things do go south? Yeah, no, you, it sounds like you had a soft spot for everyone a little bit, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm just a down-to-earth guy. I don't try to BS. It's just, you know, I just take it as it comes. You know, you see, see what you see is what you get. So I try not to sugarcoat it. Of course. And your favorite part of investing? Oh, look, favorite part of investing is, is creating a new future. You know, up until what I said at the beginning of the show, like I moved to this country to, to pursue a career in real structural engineering. And I, you know, had a bit of an interest in real estate and knew that I wanted to be my, my own boss one day. And I thought I was just going to move here for a couple of years, be an expat and move back to Australia. But yeah, like the journey that's put me on, I, 
you know, what's that saying that Tony Robbins says? He's like, you overestimate what you can achieve in a year, but you underestimate what you can achieve in a decade. Like, I had no idea that I'd be sitting here on a podcast talking to you eight or nine years later, 2,000 units or whatever it is. But it was, it's, but I put myself out there to get on, to go on that journey. And now I'm here. I'm like, wow, looking back, that's incredible. Imagine what the next 10 years are going to be like. You know what I mean? Like, right, it's, right. I didn't even think that this was possible and it has come true. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Now let's, let's enjoy the next 10 years. You know what I mean? So just enjoying the journey and what we've, Creating something from nothing, I think, is really right, and seeing it grow. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Something I didn't ask you in the beginning, though. What was the turning point for you when you stopped working for someone else and started working for yourself? Where oh. were you at in your investing career? Well, so the, a big piece of advice that I have for a lot of people is that I actually, when I moved to LA, I made the conscious decision to switch out of engineering and work, started working for a real estate developer here in LA. Um, the reason was I had to until I had a green card, which when I married my wife in 2017 was when I really could leave my day job. Um, uh, but what I needed to do up until that point is if I needed to be in a day job for a period of time, let's surround myself with real estate 24 seven and get paid to do it. So the highest paying corporate job I can find um, with, with, you know, the least hours, so to speak. And, and being a structural engineer, I had, a, I was of value to this developer because I had a lot of knowledge that, you know, he didn't, or, you know, he did have, but he wasn't a structural engineer like I was like, you know, and so I went and became a project manager for him. Uh, and then, you know, I was doing my deals on the side, keeping them hush, hush again, toilet, toilet uh, bathroom calls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, he's and always, toilet- what's up with Reed? He's always in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's like, oh, he's on site or something. Um, and I, I don't mean that like to be sneaky. It just, you know, no, or was, facetious, of course. Not, yeah. No. Yeah. Like it's just more to be just, I was trying to be as respectful as I can. You're trying to do a hustle, but you're doing also whatever it takes to be, to become financially free. And then after 2017, I probably could have left a little early in my day job, but I also didn't want to burn any bridges. Um, and I needed the green card. That was ultimately, I couldn't, I was employed. My, my visa was tied to my employer. I couldn't leave until mm. I got the green card. So, you know, I had all those things. I've, I've been there. I've, I've done the hundred hour weeks. I do the hundred hour weeks today, but I just don't know how I ever tried to run my real estate business whilst I worked full time. It was crazy. And I, you know, look back and go, how the hell did I do that? You know, and it was at a different stage in my life, but ultimately it was a very big struggle spinning a lot of plates in the air and it, it takes time. And, and the advice to those people that it will take time and it's okay that you are spinning on the plates and working full time and having a side hustle and having a life and a wife or a boyfriend and relationship with your kids and trying to keep fit and healthy and trying to have fun in life. It's a, it's a journey. It's a lot. It's a lot. And that's okay that it's a lot. And, and knowing that it's okay and that you, you relieve yourself the pressure that it will take a period of time. It might not happen tomorrow. It might not happen for five years. It might happen for 10 years, but it will happen if you keep putting one foot in front of the other and just keep making slow progress towards your goals. Yeah, no, that's good. Okay. I got uh, two questions left for you. Sure. Uh, favorite non-real estate related hobby? Surfing. Surfing. Oh, so you're a big surfer. Massive surfer. It's my, it's my happy place. Like I, my, I get crap from my business partner who lives in Austin. He's like, move to Austin. I was like, no, there's no beach. Right. Yeah. There's, <laughs> it, I'm, I mean, how close are you to a beach? I, my, my office is one bit, one block away from the beach. I'm, I'm here yeah. most of the beach right now. So there you go. You didn't have to think about that. Any finished sentence like serving. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, last question. So newbie advice, what would you, you know, give to someone that's looking to do this, looking to even yeah. if small multifamily is looking to get into big ones, what are you going to tell them? Oh, look, my, my dad always had this really profound, but it's a good piece of advice. And that's, it's a little cheesy at the same time. A fool and their money are easily parted really focus on your education first Mm. and foremost if you're a newbie go to the go put yourself out there 
and go to as many real estate networking events as you possibly can and, I, and, and give it six months and I bet you, you will have learnt a ton. Not only have you learned a ton, but you're also surrounding yourself with more people and you'll then have a new vision of how to create financial freedom for yourself. Just doing a simple act like that and exposing yourself to others in the industry will change your mindset about how you go and pursue your own financial freedom. So just be educated, get started. Don't be afraid to go out and, and, and you know, meet other people because you want to surround yourself with, with people who you aspire to be. So yeah, the biggest piece of advice is just get out there and start learning. Awesome. Very good. Well, Reed, thank you so, so much for taking the time out of your busy day. And I, I wholeheartedly mean that to come on the show. Um, everyone, like I said, go get investing in the U S the ultimate guide to U S real estate. It's on Amazon. It's a great book. I'll also just add this as a little bit of a plug for those people who aren't readers. It just launched on audible as well. Yep, so I saw that. That's awesome. Get, if you want to drive and listen to it, it has an American accent, dude. I got a, the 80, 20, I got an American voiceover. I did the intros and the outros, but I was like, nah, get someone else to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's there you an go. American accent, but it's, it's there in audio, audio book as, as well, which is a little bit easier to consume. Good. And Reed, where can someone connect with you? Find out more about you, your yeah. company and what you're going just, up to. Just every day check, day. check out reedgoosens.com. Um, that's all you have to do. R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S. There's a couple of buttons up there. There's learn from me or invest with me. Um, a couple of forms. And if anyone's coming through LA and they want to meet up for a coffee or a beer and talk shop, just hit me up at info. That's I-N-F-O at reedgoosens.com. Awesome. Well, Reed, thank you for your time today. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely have you back soon. Thank you, brother. Thanks for listening. We hope you took something away from today's episode. For more information, you can find us on Instagram at Dante Belmonte. See you next time.